Good morning, everyone. It is April 12th, 2020. Happy Easter. This is the time of year when people remember Jesus rose from the dead. Uh, he died for the sins of the entire world. He was buried, but he did not stay dead. And today, much of the world is remembering that it was during this period of time, during this time of the year, when uh, Jesus broke forth from the tomb and the whole world changed. And you and I were given a chance for eternity. So I'm excited today to uh, celebrate that with you, in, even though we're having to do that apart. The world is undergoing a pandemic because of the coronavirus. And once again, uh, we who are studying God's word this morning will do so at a distance from each other physically, uh, but we'll be able to do so spiritually together. My name is Bob Lawrence. I'm one of the Bible class teachers at the Anchorage Church of Christ. And this morning, I invite you to come into our home, and I would like to share with you what I will be sharing with our family today, and in a sense, invite you to come and be a part of the discussion that will be going on in our living room uh, with our family. And maybe in that way, we can share God's word together. <clears throat> in a few minutes, we'll be in 2 Timothy. We're starting a new letter today, uh, and it's that letter that was written from Paul uh, to Timothy. But I wanted to begin with a different letter, if I could. Uh, I have I have a special letter that I pulled from a place that I keep uh, special letters in our house. And this was a letter that was written to me about 10 years ago by a friend and mentor named Mike Justice. Uh, Mike is a physician, uh, has served as an elder for a congregation in Searcy, Arkansas for many years. And, uh, and Mike is special to me because uh, about oh, 30 years ago now, when I was uh, just a very young man in college uh, going to the doctor for the very first time, uh, I went to see Mike Justice. And so he is the physician that I first went to when I was trying to navigate the, the healthcare system on my own for the very first time. It was a minor issue. I just needed a vaccine because we were preparing to go to Haiti on a medical mission trip, and they told me I had to go to the doctor, you know, to get the shot. And so I went to see Mike, and the thing that impressed me most as a young man is that as, as I went through the process and I was sitting there in the exam room, as you know we do, sitting on the exam table, Mike walked in, he introduced himself as Dr. Justice, and, and then he sat down. And the next few minutes, for me, felt like hours in which he asked me very personal questions about my life, about what I was preparing to do, uh, about why I wanted to go on this medical mission trip and what I was preparing to do in, in ministry and, uh, and in life. And he made me feel special. And later, many years later, when I decided to go back to medical school and to become a physician, that encounter stuck in my mind and it, it was burned in my memory as an example of the kind of doctor that I wanted to be, uh, the kind of person who can make patients feel so special. Well, anyway, that's the kind of person that Mike is. Well, about 10 years ago, uh, our family was living in Nome, Alaska, and I was practicing uh, there, and a, a letter arrived. And, uh, and the letter was from Dr. Justice, uh, the very man who was a mentor and who had become a friend and this letter arrived in Nome, Alaska. So you can imagine how special that was to be in such a distant place and get a letter from someone who meant so much to me. And, and I'd like to read you just a, a little piece of that, uh, that letter. 
I won't read you the whole thing, but he starts out by uh, uh, addressing it to, to my wife and I, to Bob and Laura. He says, Dear Bob and Laura, I thank my God every time I remember you. He has that quote from Philippians. And then later he says, Over the years, I have become more convinced that Satan becomes more aggressive when Christians are doing good works or are on the brink of doing great work for the kingdom. Because of your commitment example, I believe you will not escape the attention of the prince of darkness. And then listen to what he says. For that reason, I will be asking God to give you the courage and the perseverance to resist whatever pressures or discouragement may come your way. And then he goes on to say, And Bob, for you, I am asking God to limit the distractions that might keep you from standing in the gap as a defender, provider, husband, and father that your family needs and deserves. And then he ends by saying, Perhaps our paths will cross again soon. Until then, just know that I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. Mike Justice. Well, that's a very special letter to me. Maybe you have a letter like that that you've received from someone special. And because it is special to you, you keep it in a special place in your house, um, a place that you can pull, pull the letter out from time to time and read it and know that, that somebody cares about you. Well, the reason I share that letter with you is to, to say that when we have letters like that, we tend to treat them extra special. We keep them in a special place. <clears throat> we pull them out from time to time and, and maybe even share them with others, just like I shared with you. And the letter that we're about to read is a letter that's just like that. Years ago, there was a man named Paul who was a missionary, a servant of Jesus, who had followed uh, Jesus for uh, most of his adult life. And along with him, he had brought a young man named Timothy. Timothy uh, was like his intern, like his partner, like his helper. But Timothy was much younger. And at the end of Paul's life, Paul picks up the pen one last time. And we think this is the last letter that he wrote. It's it's the last letter that we have a copy of. And Paul puts the pen down to that parchment and he writes a letter to Timothy. Well, can you imagine what that was like for Timothy to receive this small rolled up parchment, to unroll it and realize this is a letter from, from his mentor, from his friend, from the man that he wanted to be like when he grew up? and to open that letter and and to read that. That letter was so special to Timothy that he hung on to it. And he kept it in a special place. And eventually it was so special to him that he shared some of what was written there with other people. And it was so special to them that they asked him to copy it. And so copies were made and then copies of copies. And eventually uh, people recognized that what was written in that letter was so important that it belonged in the canon of scriptures that became your New Testament. And that's, that's what we call the book of 2 Timothy. It's actually a letter. And it's meant to be read from the very start to the very end, just like you would read a letter at home. And so this class will be an opportunity for us over the next few weeks to actually go through that letter and to hear, as Timothy did, the words of Paul at the end of his physical life when he was about to go and meet the Lord. Before we actually read the letter, um, let me give you a little information about the author of this letter, about Paul. 
Now, you may have heard of Paul. The Apostle Paul was the great missionary who wrote many of the books and letters that you read in the New Testament. Uh, But Paul was not always a Christian. In fact, Paul uh, was violently opposed to Christianity early in his life. Paul grew up as a young man in a town called Tarsus. It's in uh, what is now southern, modern-day southern Turkey. And there in Tarsus, Paul would have been a a very well-educated man in both Greek and the ways of Judaism. Tarsus was an educational center, uh, much like in that time Antioch was or Alexandria. Uh, Tarsus was a place where people could be very well-educated. And Paul apparently was born as a Roman citizen, uh, but he was also a Jewish young boy. And he rose so fast in the ranks of Judaism that he would be the modern-day equivalent of the top of his class. He was the valedictorian of the Jewish schools of the time. And because of that, he was sent to Jerusalem. And there in Jerusalem, he studied under the masters of Judaism. In fact, we're told that he studied under Gamaliel. And most people believe that uh, for that reason that Paul would uh, uh, eventually rise and perhaps have been in line to become the high priest. He was uh, rising much faster than anyone else his age. And so you think of of Paul as this uh, rock star in Judaism. Well, right at what would be the pinnacle of his career, um, Jesus came. And Jesus taught, and he died for the sins of the whole world. And Paul would have been someone who peripherally got to see many of those events occurring. But Jesus did not stay dead. He came back to life. And when he came back to life... Uh, uh, people began to follow him. And, and this gospel, this good news spread to the entire, you know, uh, the entire area. But Paul was opposed to that, as were most of the Jewish leaders at the time. And Paul took it upon himself to stop this spread of Christianity. And to do that, he would go out and arrest the ringleaders of this new sect of Judaism that was called uh, Christianity. And he would, he would throw them in jail. And sometimes even, he would take them into court and people would be given the death sentence under the Jewish law, and, and Paul would cast his vote for them to be killed and even stand there and, and monitor as people were killed. And you read about one of those in the early part of Acts when you read about the stoning of, of Stephen. And so Paul stood there as, as people were, were being killed because of their faith in Christ. He had no idea that he was about to become one of these very people that he was persecuting. Uh, Paul was sent by the Jewish leaders on his way to Damascus with letters to arrest any of the Christians that he found there. And on his way to Damascus, uh, before he got there, there was this incredible light that came down from uh, heaven. It blinded him. He could not see, and he began to hear the voice of Jesus. Now, his companions saw the light, but nobody else heard this voice. Paul tells us only he heard the voice, and he had this conversation with Jesus in which Jesus says, Paul, why is it that you're persecuting me? Isn't it hard to kick against the goads? And, and, and Paul ends up there uh, uh, becoming blind. And he's taken uh, from that event, that meeting with Jesus, he is taken into Damascus. And while he's there, the Christians of Damascus are sent to him, particularly one Christian who comes to him and, and uh, following God's direction, he gives uh, the ability for Saul to see again, and, uh, and Saul uh, has these scale-like things fall from his eyes. He hears the gospel. He is baptized there and becomes the, the very type of person that he was, that he was persecuting. 
and he became a he became a Christian. And there in the city of Damascus, Paul becomes a great defender of Christianity. Now at the time, he was mostly called Saul because that was his Jewish name. Uh, his his uh, Greek name would probably have been Paul, and so sometimes you'll hear both names used, especially early on uh, in those stories about about Saul. Um, but eventually his name is changed to Paul, and Paul will uh, go throughout uh, Damascus and then that part of the world uh, arguing now uh, for the fact that Jesus was in fact the Son of God and that Jesus was the Messiah, the one who uh, was promised to come uh, all those all those years. He spends a little bit of time in Damascus. We're told there for a time that he goes into Arabia, and then he comes back to Damascus, and then from Damascus, he ends up going to Jerusalem. And you can imagine what that's like when Paul goes back into Jerusalem and is uh, is there, has a chance to meet the people who walked with Jesus, those 12 apostles. He gets to, to meet all of them, I guess, except Judas. Uh, but he gets to meet the others who uh, spent time with Jesus all those years, and, uh, and we're told that he spent time with a few of them. But most people, most people scattered when he came. They were scared of Paul because he had persecuted them and even killed some of them. And, uh, and it took one man called Barnabas, the uh, son of encouragement, who was probably this large man. I envision him being sort of the large teddy bear kind of person who, <clears throat> who, who goes and he finds Paul and he brings them, him in uh, to among the other Christians and he, he lets them know that Paul is now one of them. And, and he, as this encourager, brings Paul right by his side and says, he's with us now. Well, Paul ends up going from Jerusalem briefly up to the city of Antioch. And then from Antioch, he ends up going back to Tarsus. And Paul spends a number of years actually back in his hometown teaching about Jesus and arguing with the uh, Hellenist, the, the Greek uh, culture that Jesus, in fact, is the Messiah and he is the Savior of the world. And it was a few years later that Barnabas made his way back up to Antioch. And while he's in Antioch, uh, he recognizes that this young, growing church in this very secular city uh, needed a teacher. And so Barnabas, this, this son of encouragement, goes over to Tarsus and he finds Paul, and and he brings Paul again by his side, brings him back to Antioch, and that's where where everything breaks loose. And Paul, almost in an encouraging way, with with someone who is encouraging him to take that step, says, now's your time. And Paul uh, there begins to uh, teach, preach, and he and Barnabas then go off on their missionary journeys. Well, on that first missionary journey, they make their way from Antioch, they go over to Cyprus, they end up going up to a, a few of the towns. And one of those towns, we read in Acts 14, is the town of Lystra. And this gets us closer to meeting Timothy. Because in Lystra was a, a small church, and in that church was a young lady. She was a Jewish lady. Her name was Eunice, and she had a mother named Lois, and these women had become Christians. And so there was this young uh, church there. Paul and Barnabas came into Lystra, and while they were there, there was a man who was crippled. And Paul ends up healing this man who was crippled, and it was such an amazing thing that the people, seeing what happened, uh, said, this must be from the gods. And so they said that the man was healed because Zeus had come among them in human form. 
In fact, they pointed to Barnabas, again, because he was probably the larger guy, and they said, that's Zeus. And they pointed to Paul and said, well, that's Hermes, because he's the talker. And, uh, and so they, they called them gods. And they even had the priest of the temple to Zeus come out. He brought bulls, and they had garlands, and they, uh, they began to sacrifice or prepare a sacrifice for Paul and Barnabas. And Paul and Barnabas were, were furious, and they, they, they tore their clothing and said, this cannot happen. And, uh, and, and they tried to stop, you know, stop that from going on. Well, the, the Jewish people in the town were so jealous of the attraction that Paul and Barnabas had gained that they actually turned the people against Paul and Barnabas. And so these people that were about to worship Paul and Barnabas actually turned and end up stoning uh, at least Paul, probably both of them, uh, and almost killing him. And they take Paul out to the edge of town. They figure that he's going to die. And we're told there that the Christians encircled him. And they stood around him. And you get this idea, sort of like muskox who turned their back you know, against the enemy, that the, the Christians all circled around uh, Paul and, and they saved his life. And we think that one of the people that may have been standing in that group of Christians was a young man named Timothy. Now, he's not named there. Um, we have to wait a little later in the events to, be, to meet Timothy, but it doesn't take too much longer. Paul and Barnabas end up leaving Lystra. <clears throat> they end up making their way back to Israel. And there, Paul and Barnabas part ways for some time. And Paul picks up another travel companion named Silas. And uh, he and Silas make their way back to Iconium and Lystra and these uh, churches in Galatia. But when they come to Lystra, we're told, and this is now in Acts chapter 16, we're told that they meet a young man who was the son of a Jewish woman who had become a Christian, but his father was Greek. And so he was in this mixed family of uh, probably a, a pagan culture right next to a Jewish and a Christian culture. This young man was growing up in that family, but he was well spoken of by all the Christians. And he was so, uh, Paul was so impressed by Timothy that there he asked Timothy, if he would follow him in their ministry. And then the rest, as they say, is history. At least uh, in the book of Acts, we read that Timothy got to spend time with Paul, going to all the places that Paul would end up going. And, uh, and through uh, that ministry, ended up meeting people that you know about, like Luke, who wrote the book of Luke, and then later the book of Acts. Uh, he gets to meet Priscilla and Aquila, and uh, probably even spent time with John, the apostle, the apostle of Jesus. And so Timothy gets to, to follow with and, and do ministry uh, along with Paul through all those years of going to all of these brand new congregations. And for a time, Paul would even leave Timothy, like we learned about in 1 Timothy. He would leave Timothy in places like Ephesus to help raise up a church and teach a body of people what it means to be the church. Well, imagine now that Paul is at the end of his life he is in Rome under the rule of Nero, and Paul recognizes that his days are numbered. In fact, he is, he is uh, within a short amount of time, probably going to go to his death, and he senses that that's going to happen. And so he, he, he pulls out a pen, and he begins to write with these large letters, or maybe he had a scribe who was writing down what he was dictating. Uh, but regardless, he puts pen to paper and writes a letter to this young man, Timothy. And Timothy, in another city, is making his way towards Rome to join Paul once again and bring what he needs. But on the way there, he, he gets this letter, probably a parchment that was rolled up, and he unrolls this, and he gets to read 
this letter, a very personal letter that was written only to him from Paul. And, and those words are what you read now in this letter of 2 Timothy. Well, would you like to read that letter? Here's what I recommend. If you would, take time. It will take about 10 minutes. Uh, and just read the book of 2 Timothy. Start at the first, at the greeting. Read all the way through. Do not stop for commentary. Don't stop to ask questions. Just read it the way that it was meant to be read and try to put yourself in the place of Timothy and hear those words that are being shared from Paul. It will take you about 10 minutes, and when you're done, uh, come back in, and we will take a little time to go through just the introduction of the letter today and maybe pull out some of the finer points together. Well, I hope you enjoyed reading this letter of 2 Timothy, and uh, maybe you caught as you read through the text there that you were reading somebody else's mail. This letter doesn't read the way that some of the books to large churches would read, or the way the Gospels would read, or some of the books of history. You're reading a personal letter, and I hope in that letter you caught uh, some things that maybe you had forgotten or didn't know about Paul, about his heart, about his love for God. And, and perhaps you caught something about Timothy and about his life. And maybe more important for you today, you would catch those things that Paul says to Timothy that were meant not just for Timothy, but words that were preserved all of these years so that even today, you, sitting in your home, would have an opportunity uh, to read them in reading this letter. And so I hope in a sense you felt as if you were reading a letter that was written uh, to you as uh, a personal letter. Well, here are a couple of things that I think it's important to catch just in the introduction, and I'll leave these uh, thoughts with you today. The first is, recognize, like any letter, that this is a letter that is from the Apostle Paul. And so you notice how the letter begins uh, in the ancient practice of beginning with the writer of the letter. And so Paul uh, puts in his name and identifies himself as an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. And notice that he says it's to Timothy, my beloved child. And so here, Paul actually calls Timothy his son, his child. And we think that's probably because at this point in life, uh, Timothy's father has probably passed away, has died, and so Paul, in a sense, has adopted him as his own son. And then he begins the letter with a memory. And you almost get the sense that Paul is closing his eyes and taking a deep breath and saying, Timothy, I'm remembering some very special things about you. And I'm remembering you night and day in my prayers, but let me tell you what's coming to mind. I'm remembering your tears when we last parted, and, and I'm sensing that joy of being able to see you again. And then he says, as I, as I remember back, I remember you as a young boy, and that, and that faith, that first lived in your grandmother, Lois, and then it lived in your mother, Eunice, and now it lives in you. Now that word for dwelt in, your version might say the faith that lives in or dwells in, that word dwelt is, a, is an important word to remember uh, because Paul says that I, I see that faith as something that actually dwells inside of a person. Now the word faith there is not um, a belief uh, due to uh, or in spite of uh, 
uh, a lack of facts. In, in fact, the faith actually means uh, the product of a proof or the belief in something because you have seen the evidence and I'm convinced that it's true. And Paul says that kind of faith first dwelt in Timothy's grandmother. Her uh, name was Lois. And that word dwelt is the word in oikeo, or that's the verb, and that means I dwell or I live. And you might hear in that two different words. The, one of those Greek words is the word uh, oikos, which actually means house. And then you put in front of that the, the letters en, in, in oikos. It, it really means in the house. And so Paul says that faith was in the house of your grandmother, Lois. And it was also in the house of your mother, Eunice. And now it dwells, so it's in orkeo, you. It, uh, it, it lives in, in you. And it's important to remember that faith is something that can live in a person. And I think the important point of this introduction is the reminder that the faith that we have, the faith that we have in God, the firm conviction we have in the truth of what God has done in saving the world is something that it is not of our own doing. It's not because we uh, uh, you know, went on uh, a quest to know the right things and so we learned faith. The faith is really something that in many ways was passed on to us and usually not all at once. And I bet, just like Timothy, if you think about it, there are people in your life uh, in whom your faith first dwelt before it was passed on like a baton, in a sense, to you. If you're like me, there was someone who taught you how to read, and they probably taught you how to read the Bible. And I bet you can think of the person who taught you how to word your very first prayers. And I bet you can think of those people early in your life who you looked up to, and you now look back and think, I, I want my faith to be like, like their faith was. And what was happening that whole time is that they were, uh, they were passing along that faith from their house uh, to yours. And so I, I, uh, maybe it would be good to take a minute just to think of who those people are in your life who helped to establish and to grow your faith. If you've seen the movie about Mr. Rogers or you know anything about his life, you would know that oftentimes if he was around important people or dignitaries, he had this, Fred Rogers would have this practice of saying, can we just take a minute, just one minute, and let's think of all the people who helped make us who we are today. And then he said, let's just take a minute. I thought this will feel a little strange at first, but let's take a minute and do just that. Uh, I'll, I'll keep time, so don't worry about the time, but let's just take one minute and for just a minute, each of us, think about the people in whom our faith first dwelt and how that faith was then passed on to us. And just let the, the names of those people and the faces of those people come to mind as you think of all the people uh, that have helped make your faith what it is today. Let's just take a minute, one minute to do that.
Well, that's a lot of names that came to mind, and hopefully there were for you as well. And if you can, if you can imagine in your own life what that's like to have so many people who have invested in you and in your faith, then you get a sense for what it was like for Timothy to be reading this letter and to be reminded by Paul as Paul was thinking about all the people who had invested themselves in, in Timothy's life. And then Timothy would in turn uh, think about the, the lives of people that he was investing himself in. And so Paul first uh, closes his eyes for a minute and says, Timothy, I'm, <clears throat> I'm remembering so many things about you. And then he opens his eyes and here is where he begins the instruction part of the letter. And he says, Timothy, there's two things uh, that I don't want you to be ashamed of and you should never be ashamed of. The first of these is the testimony. Do not be ashamed of the message that you have heard me teach. It's as if Paul is handing the baton to Timothy and saying, do not be ashamed of this message. And then the second thing he says is, and don't be ashamed of me as its messenger. So listen to how he says first, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. And this is where we learn that Paul there in Rome was a prisoner, again, under Nero, and was probably uh, facing his death within a short amount of time. But Paul says, do not be ashamed of this message. And he goes on to say something about this message. Because of his own purpose and grace, uh, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before ages began, we have this gospel. And Paul says that this holy calling that we have is not because of our works. We didn't earn this. Before the beginning of time, because of God's own purpose and grace in Christ Jesus, God set in motion the opportunity for you to have this faith and to be saved, but it was now manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus. So Paul turns back the, back the clock to the beginning of time and says, God, at the beginning of time, set in motion what would be needed to make your life right again. But all of that became uh, all of that appeared, it became apparent when Jesus was here. And when Jesus, listen to the phrase, when he abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the good news or through the gospel. Well, this is a special day to be thinking about that moment when Jesus brought life. And here the word is real life, zoe, life, and immortality to light. It's as if he took uh, uh, what was going on in the world uh, and the struggles of the world leading to death and he turned that around and, and brought to light two things, life and immortality. So the image that comes to mind right now is that image of the entire globe. We're in the midst of a pandemic and you remember going back now almost three months uh, anyone who has looked at these maps for the last couple of months knows that image of a little red dot over Wuhan, China, in the Hubei province that slowly grew and became bigger. And then another red dot uh, ends up appearing in Italy, there in Central Europe, and that dot became bigger. And suddenly there are dots in other places all over uh, the globe. And those dots in China and Italy, and then Germany and Spain and and across Europe were getting bigger and bigger, and then the dots started appearing in the United States. And the dots became large in Washington 
and in California and then New York, and those dots have grown bigger and bigger until eventually all 50 states have a dot, you know, that's growing in those. And in Alaska, our dot is still, um, is still quite small, but a pandemic by definition affects the whole world. And I dare say there's no one on the entire planet that in, not, in some way is not affected by this, this spreading red dot that, rec- <clears throat> that, um, that represents this coronavirus that is uh, causing the pandemic. Now imagine a different map. I'm envisioning a map that Paul sees when he looks at the whole world and he notices a small dot that's forming right there over Jerusalem. In about 30 to 33 AD, one dot appears as a stone is rolled away from a tomb and Jesus comes out of the tomb. And there's your first dot. And within uh, about a month and a half, suddenly that dot explodes and it starts to grow exponentially. First 3,000 people are in that dot. And then uh, another dot pops up over here in Damascus. And then a dot pops up in Antioch. And then a, a, a dot starts to grow over these areas in Turkey, first around Tarsus. And then later it starts growing around Lystra and Derby and Galatia. And then the, the dots around Jerusalem are growing larger and it shows up down in Egypt. And then over in Greece and around Athens and Corinth and up in Thessalonica. And then over in Rome, you see a dot you know, that appears and it starts to grow. And you see this spreading uh, movement that is this message of life and immortality taking over the whole world. What a great message for uh, today as we think about this being the time of year when that whole process started, when the the stone was rolled away and life and immortality uh, came to light. That reminds me of a poem. You you might have heard of uh, Gary Hart, the the BC comics from years ago. It used to be that every year uh, before he died, uh, that comic strip, BC Comics, would have some type of Easter type of theme. And uh, several years, there would be the peg-legged poet who would write one of his special poems uh, on Sunday. And one of my favorite poems uh, came out of that comic strip. And it has the poet leaning back on the tree and he's writing, you know, on his tablet. And there for his poem, he says, Man, man, magnificent man, he creates forces that outshines the stars. He can shoot himself up and tap dance on the moon or hurl himself clear out to Mars. He can unleash a force that evaporates steel since he's learned how the atom behaves, but he has no recourse but to bow to the force that summons the dead from their graves. And that's the message that Paul says has been handed to you, Timothy. You carry this message. And so Paul says, do not be ashamed of this message of life and immortality. And then the second thing Paul says is, don't be ashamed of the messenger, of me, his prisoner. And Paul says uh, to Timothy, but I am not ashamed for I know whom I have believed and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day that which has been entrusted to me. So Paul concludes there by saying, I'm not ashamed. Now that's a strange phrase because you would expect that Paul would say when talking about the gospel or talking about his work, Uh, or all the things that he's done, it would be appropriate for him to say, you know, I'm proud of what I did. But instead, he uses the negative term, and he says, I'm not ashamed. He uses that several times. 
And he uses that in several of his letters. You might remember in, in Romans where he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Paul has this way of, instead of saying, I am proud, the positive sense, saying, I am not ashamed, the negative sense. And it makes you wonder, what is it that he would have been ashamed of? You know, if I tell you that I am proud of something, you know that I might have reason to be proud of it. But if I say, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not ashamed of that old truck of ours, you know, you might say, well, do you have reason to be ashamed? Well, I can think of a couple of reasons why Paul might be ashamed of what he has done or the message. And one of the reasons for being ashamed would be if the message that he had been preaching was not, was not true. Uh, what, if, what if what Paul had held on to all those years was based on a lie? What if the whole story of what happened on the road to Damascus was just fake news, that it wasn't uh, real at all? What if, what if Paul, all this time, had put himself right next to Jesus, kind of like a person who's, uh, who, who has a chance to meet someone who's famous, and they hold out the, the phone and they, and they take a selfie just to show that they were right next to the famous person? What if Paul had done that with Jesus and, and said, here I am next to the Son of God as a, as a way of saying, see, I'm, I'm with him. But what if it wasn't true? What if the whole thing was, was fabricated uh, for Paul's own ego? Well, that, that would be a reason to be ashamed. Or what if, what if it was true? What if Paul really did meet Jesus on the way to Damascus? What if that uh, actually happened? What if Jesus actually called Paul to go to the whole world and, and to teach about this good news? And, and what if Paul did that? But at the end of his life, he realizes uh, he did not do it well. What if he is at the end of his life and he, he thinks that, uh, that he, he can't be convinced that all the work that he's done will make a difference at all and that what God entrusted to him was, uh, was not worth it or what he had trusted God for turned out to be not worth it. Well, that would be a reason to be ashamed, to think that he invested his whole life in something for which he could not have confidence. Well, Paul ends here by reassuring Timothy that that's not true. In fact, what he says at the end is, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. Paul doesn't say here, I'm not ashamed because I believe in Jesus. He says, because I know him in whom I've believed. It's, it's a reminder of Jesus's prayer when Jesus said, this is eternal life, that they may know you, speaking of God. And, and Paul says that here. I know the one in whom I believe. So remember, he's talking to Timothy, and he says, uh, don't be ashamed of the message, and don't be ashamed of me, his prisoner, because I know him. And secondly, I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Some of your versions may say that I uh, am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him. It works either way, and there are textual variants in either case. <clears throat> but the point is, Paul says, I'm convinced that he can, he can guard this faith that has been entrusted, uh, entrusted to us. And that's what brings us to the end of our passage here today, where Paul concludes by saying, follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me. In other words, you don't have to be ashamed of the message or the messenger. Instead, you can follow this pattern that you have heard from me in faith and love that are in Christ Jesus 
And then this beautiful ending that will bring you back to a word you already know. He says, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. That word dwells is the same word that he used earlier about the faith that dwells in his grandmother. Remember, in the house of his grandmother. Uh, faith was in the house of his mother, Eunice. And, and now he uses that same word again to say to Timothy, by the Holy Spirit of God who is in the house of you, who's in you, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. And with that, Paul takes a baton and he hands it to Timothy and he says, it is God's Spirit in you that will guard the same thing that it has guarded in me all these years. Well, I leave that with you for the introduction. You have now had a chance to, uh, to read the letter of 2 Timothy. And over the next few weeks, we'll be able to pull out of this letter the, uh, the, uh, the beautiful, endearing, very personal messages uh, that we would hear directly from one of the very first followers of Jesus Christ. So I look forward to going through the study with you. May God bless you this week and may his grace be upon you.